Good morning. We are so glad that you are here. Today it's our first Sunday of 2021. And as Jordan has mentioned, we are doing a team teach. If we haven't got the chance to meet yet, my name is Steph and I am the worship director here at Seoul. And if you've been part of our community for any amount of time, you will know that a huge part of who we are comes from our vision, our mission, and our family values. And this morning, we are going to take some time and we are going to break down our mission. And that is know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. So right at the start of our life lesson this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to take a moment and remember when you decided to follow him. What did that look like for you? Have you ever made that decision? Perhaps it was a process of coming to know God gradually, or maybe it was a split-second decision, a moment when the lights just went on. Take a moment to think about it. Because that was your first step in coming to know God. And the reason I've asked you to do that is because I want you to remember it. I want you to hold it in your heart for the next couple of minutes as we talk about what it means to know God. So, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're reading verses 17, 18. It says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So these verses are taken from Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church. And when looking at the context of the book of Ephesians, there's no specific problems that are mentioned that would lead us to believe there was anything troubling the church at the time. But the whole letter, it covers basic doctrine and principles. So we can surmise that Paul's aim in writing was to lead the church into maturity of faith. And these verses, the verses that we just read, they're actually what our mission here at Soul Sanctuary is based on. Paul's prayer here for a spirit of wisdom and revelation is a typically Jewish way of speaking. Paul, he prays that the Holy Spirit that they have already received will grant these things. Note that this is not a request for special information from God, but it's a deeper knowledge of God himself as he is revealed in Christ. I want you to take a moment and notice with me the first thing that Paul says. I keep asking. In this, Paul, he models something to us. He models what it means to ask. And asking, I think, can be something that we tend to shy away from. Maybe we're a little afraid or we're a little proud or we don't want to make ourselves vulnerable. But asking, it often comes from this place of relationship. It's how a relationship starts. Hi, what's your name? I want you to know today that whatever you're lacking in your relationship with God, you can ask him for it. When it comes to asking God for things, it isn't actually for the main purpose of us getting what we want, but it's to increase our intimacy with him. Through the act of asking, we draw near to him in prayer, and his spirit ministers to our heart, aligning our desires with him. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. What Paul is praying for here is not a general belief in the love of God. It's that the Ephesian church would go beyond casual acquaintance and know him intimately. 
to know God and be known by God. And we see in Scripture how God, he has made himself knowable to us. If you would turn with me to the book of Acts, we're going to read just a couple of verses in chapter 17. It says this, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. One commentator writes about this. The word used for seeking is a really graphic one that gives a sense of blindly feeling for. And the point being made is that God, he isn't far from each one of us. He's actually closer than we would ever think. In order to know God in this way, Paul prays for both wisdom and revelation. When we consider wisdom, we can recognize it's a biblical principle. And it's something that we as followers of Jesus are called to pursue. It's the ability to use both knowledge and information in such a way that allows for beneficial and productive outcomes. So if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus actually talks about what it means to live with wisdom. He says this, But everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hearing from God and then doing. That's what wisdom looks like. It's taking the time to listen and learn from God and then put that into practice. Notice what Jesus says. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them. It's in that place of doing, in that place of hearing and doing, we learn to see more of the heart of God. We learn more about him and his ways and then we begin to understand think often that our doing, it comes before our understanding. And, and God knows that. And that's why he asks us to do it in such a way. But I look at my own life. I came, I came to Winnipeg and Soul Sanctuary a year and a half ago. And I had no idea how the pieces were all going to fit together. But I knew it was what God was calling me to, even if I didn't fully understand. So if you look with me at the second part of Paul's prayer, he asks for revelation. And we're going to go back to that question that I initially asked you. What did coming to know God look like for you? Because that was your first revelation of him. But that isn't where it stops. We need a fresh revelation, a continually developing understanding of God beyond that initial moment. Revelation is a clearer picture of the divine nature and will of God, and we need it every day. It's given by the Holy Spirit, just like wisdom. And the Holy Spirit, he leads us in prayer through scripture and through community to revelation. And I want you to take a moment and, and notice how Paul has framed his prayer. He asks for wisdom first, and then he asks for revelation the order within which he asks is fascinating to me because if it had have been me, I would have asked for revelation and then I would have asked for wisdom. But Paul recognizes that we need wisdom first in order for us to apply the revelation that God gives us. What good is revelation if you can't apply it? <laughs> but here's the thing. Before wisdom, before revelation, we come to Jesus. 
I want to bring your attention to something he says in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. What Jesus is saying here is you can do all the things, but I never had relationship with you. He communicates his desire and his desire is for us to know him and for us to be known in return. But as humankind, we, we have this thing in our lives called sin. And sin is the brokenness in our lives that separates us from God. But in Jesus, in his death on the cross and in his resurrection, we can be forgiven. And we get to have relationship with God when we believe in him, when we accept him, and when we confess. We can know him here on earth and spend eternity with him. But when it comes to knowing God, often we can have these preconceived notions about him that he expects us to have it all together before he would save us or that we have to be perfect for him to love us. But the message of the gospel is that while you are at your very worst, Jesus loved you. That whenever you weren't even looking his way, <laughs> he loved you and he gave his life for you so that you could know him and be known him in return. If this is something you're wrestling with this morning, if you want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we want to connect with you. You can reach out on our website, soulsanctuary.ca slash hello. That's soulsanctuary.ca slash hello. Or you can text our prayer number and that's 24-226-7254. I'll say that again, 24-226-7254. It is our desire that you come to know God, not as a casual acquaintance or in any superficial manner, but that you would know him intimately as Emmanuel, God with us. Good morning, everyone at home. Any kids who are watching, you're probably used to seeing me in the Soul Kids video every week, uh, but this week I get to share with your parents. For those who don't know me, which at this point is probably still many, uh, I am Andre. I'm the children's pastor here at Soul Sanctuary. Uh, as we continue to unpack our family values, uh, I want to now turn our attention to our second value, which is to find freedom. Finding freedom, it's, it's integral to the Christian life. A core piece of any theology, whether personal or corporate, is how one understands and responds to sin. Sin transcends culture, gender, race, ethnicity, religion, and every other boundary that categorizes people. Yet despite this broad definition for sin, it is ultimately difficult to pinpoint. At least, and simply put, sin destroys nature, it degrades humanity, and it is complicit in injustice. So for our purposes here today, I want everyone, and this may be easier for parents and guardians especially, to imagine a window freshly cleaned through which you can clearly see the outside world. Doing church at home, you may only need to turn your head to look out a nearby window. But now imagine that same window now covered in fingerprints. 
Though you can still see outside, what you can see is obscured. So I want to make an important distinction using this analogy. With sin, there's this universal sense to what it is, in that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The culprit for those fingerprints, broadly, is this universal sense of sin. Yet at the same time, the effects or these fingerprints of sin, they become so muddy and overlapping that at times it can be difficult to pinpoint exactly who or what put the fingerprints on that window. It could be ourselves, it could be other people, or another outside force. All we see is that the evidence of a culprit being there. So in this example, the window represents our lives, and the fingerprints represent the reality that sin is nearby, always ready to dirty another window. With this distinction between the culprit and the fingerprints, between this universal presence of sin and its prints on our lives, on humanity, what, I'm, what I am speaking to this morning is not so much finding freedom from that universal nature of sin as that is outside of humanity's ability to do anything about. Rather, what I am speaking to is finding freedom from the fingerprints of sin which are prevalent to varying degrees on the windows of each of our lives. So finding freedom then, our second family value, is not merely an end goal for individuals who may be stuck deep in the grips of addiction or the big sins like murder or adultery. Rather, freedom, a a life free of these fingerprints of sin, should be an end goal for all Christians and all people. And the key this morning, something I don't want anyone to miss, is that we don't sit passively and wait for the window of our lives to be cleaned. Although in a very real way, the culprit has ultimately been dealt with through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the fingerprints of sin are still present in our lives and in our world. And we each play an active role in cleaning these fingerprints of sin in our lives and helping clean the fingerprints of sin in the lives of others. So how do we do this? Well, I believe that freedom from the fingerprints of sin is accomplished as we look to and model the life of Jesus. As we understand and learn about Jesus' life and teachings more and more, And as we become more like him by modeling his life, freedom from the effects of sin becomes possible, which leads to a fullness of life and a clarity of purpose. As they are today, the fingerprints were evident during the first century while Jesus went about his ministry. Boundaries and barriers were erected to keep the windows of life clean and free from fingerprints, Yet these boundaries did nothing but further exasperate the dehumanizing nature of sin. Jesus, he spent his time on earth tearing these boundaries down, these boundaries that were erected by the Jewish leaders and by the culture and the worldview of the time. Many episodes in the Gospels can highlight this. I've chosen the following. First, in John chapter 2, wherein Jesus clears the temple, The temple, this crown jewel of Jewish culture, all that it stood for, encountering God, being reconciled to one another, 
being cleansed of sin, it was reduced to unjust and capitalistic business ventures that kept the poor poor and made the rich richer. The crown of humanity, its cognitive ability, its creative genius, and its ingenuity that saw the temple and structures like it constructed was reduced to greed-ridden enterprise. These pinnacles of human achievement and genius were undone by material want. Jesus so emphatically overturned this broken system. Then in Matthew 12, Jesus was confronted by the Jewish leaders for healing on the Sabbath. The leaders' love for the law overrode the love that they should have had for others. The prince of sin was their complicitness in injustice when what was right was undone by what they desired. A very real example of this is the public interest in not gathering as a church community versus our very deep desire to gather. And I am pleased that as a church community, we continue to put what is right above what we desire. Just as Jesus did when he healed on the Sabbath, showing that love and concern for others is more important than religious routine. Then in John 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well, who by virtue of being a woman and a Samaritan regarded herself as second rate comparatively to Jesus. The culture she lived in mandated that she be regarded and regard herself as a second-rate citizen, which the poor woman accepted. Yet Jesus, seeking to erase these fingerprints of sin that others had put on this woman, sought to humanize and dignify her regardless of what she believed to be true about herself and what the pervading cultural practices deemed to be appropriate. Jesus showed that love and human dignity transcend boundaries of gender, class, and cultural distinctions. And lastly, in John 21, after their three-year ministry with Jesus, the disciples went back to what they knew. They went back to fishing. Despite receiving the sending of Jesus to go into the world to redeem and restore humanity, to erase and lessen the fingerprints of sin, and to model the life of Jesus taught about and lived, they went back to where they were comfortable. They were enslaved by fear, not a sin itself, but just more evidence of this universal sin tarnishing the effectiveness of humanity, as it was this fear which kept the disciples from participating in the mission of Jesus into which they were invited. So as a community here at Seoul, which is devoted to the life and teachings of Jesus. When we say that we value finding freedom, what we mean is not that we pursue freedom from that universal sin, from that which dirties the windows of our lives, for we know that that is not possible in the present. Rather, what we mean is that we actively desire to lessen, erase, and clean the fingerprints of sin in our lives and at the same time participate in these same actions on behalf of others, in the humanizing and dignifying of all people by modeling the life and teachings of Jesus. So as we seek to model the life of Jesus, freedom becomes possible. First, freedom to live fully of which Piper and Andrew will speak following me. But for the purpose of the analogy, to live with full clarity in regards to who we are as somehow bearing the image of God and who others are bearing that same image. And second, we have freedom to love wastefully. 
As it did in Jesus' time, sin seeks to erect boundaries that tell us who is worthy of love, dignity, and compassion, and who is not. Freedom from sin enables us to look past and erase the fingerprints of sin to see people as they truly are, as children of God created in his image, which enables and compels us to love them regardless of gender or nationality, beliefs, political stripes, orientation, or whichever other category may be employed that tries to divide humans. Sin's effort to keep us mired in inaction and passivity must be replaced by that which restores, redeems, sanctifies, and cleanses and moves us toward action on behalf of ourselves and others. In no way am I saying that we are to be our own personal Savior, as Jesus is the only one that can ultimately deal with sin. But what I am saying is that we don't need to sit idly by as the window of our lives and the windows of the lives of those we love are further darkened by the fingerprints of sin. Whether it's taking active steps to reverse the effects of the exploitation of the earth, or using your voice to restore the dignity to the lives of those who have lost their ability, or standing with and on behalf of those who are no longer able, do it. The life Jesus lived was one of freedom. Freedom from sin, yes, but so much more. It was a freedom to speak and act without hindrance on behalf of the oppressed, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, and the unlovable. Go and do likewise. Good morning, everyone, and happy Sunday. My name is Piper, and I'm the student ministries assistant here at Soul Sanctuary. And that means that I get to hang out with our junior high students on Friday nights. Thank you to Steph and Pastor Andre for already sharing with us this morning about the first two parts in Soul Sanctuary's mission statement. The first one, Steph talked about it, that we exist to help people know God. And the second one, Pastor Andre talked about it this morning, that we exist to help people find freedom. And the third part of Soul Sanctuary's mission statement is the one I'm going to be speaking on this morning, that we exist to help people discover their purpose. Steph and Pastor Andre have already read our key passage from the Bible this morning, but I'm going to read it again. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Here it is. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The portion of this verse that has to do with discovering your purpose is I pray that you may know the hope to which he has called you. In our world right now, everyone is on a search for purpose. Everyone has to wrestle and with and answer the questions of why do I wake up in the morning? What is the reason that I get out of bed every day? What's the point? Each person is on a search for purpose in their lives. More than ever right now, are questioning, people are questioning their purpose and why they wake up in the morning. Global News just released an article that said overdose rates in Alberta have almost doubled this year in comparison to last year. 
In July of 2020, more drug-related deaths were recorded for Alberta than ever before. People are searching for purpose. Right now, suicide rates are on the rise, and the projected increase is 16.6% in 2020 and 2021, according to one research group. We are living through a crisis of purpose. Everyone has to answer the question of where they find their purpose. You have to answer this question. Why do you get out of bed in the morning every day? When I scroll through Instagram or Facebook, I can see people are trying to, where people are trying to find a life-giving purpose. How many followers do I have? How many likes did my last post get? Or how many views did my last TikTok video get? Society tells us that purpose comes from financial success, that our purpose is to make money and lots of it. And when we are able to buy lots of things, travel all over the world, and never want for anything, then we've made it. The world tells us that we need this in order to feel happy. The world tells us that in order to feel happy, we have to treat ourselves. The idea that, you, that everything you do should benefit you somehow. Whether it's the things you buy, the spa treatments you book, the food you eat, or how you spend your time, everything you do should benefit you somehow. And if it doesn't, then it's not worth it. The slogan, treat yourself, is what the world believes will bring happiness and is our purpose. In Ephesians, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, I pray that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Paul prays and writes this to the Ephesian church, and the same is true for us. The hope that is found, this hope is found in the fact that God gives us our purpose, and we no longer have to search for it. Our purpose is to love God through loving other people. Our purpose is to serve God through serving other people. In everything we do, we should bring glory to God and reflect his characteristics here on earth. In step two of Growth Tracks, we work through a spiritual gifts assessment because we believe that each person is uniquely gifted by God in order to serve God. In Romans 12, verse six, it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Each of us has been uniquely created by God, and each of us has been uniquely gifted by God. Our purpose is to use these gifts to one, glorify God, and to two, serve other people. This will look different for everyone because we've all been given different gifts and abilities. And Pastor Andrew will be speaking more about this later on this morning and how you can do this. But if you were asking yourself those questions this morning about where you find your purpose and why you get out of bed in the morning and you came up empty-handed, if you couldn't think of anything and you didn't have a concrete answer to those questions, I want to encourage and challenge you with this. In Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set out before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you didn't have an answer to those questions of purpose this morning, if you didn't have an answer, 
point your eyes towards Jesus. If you didn't know what your purpose is, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. By accepting him as Lord and Savior and choosing to pursue him, you will discover your purpose. As followers of Jesus, we learn that we are created to glorify God and to serve him. In order to understand that, we must accept who Jesus is and we have to say yes to Jesus and no to ourselves and what the world defines as our purpose. In our world right now, with all the different guidelines and restrictions and the uncertainty and unknown in regards to the future, it can bring with it a lack of purpose. In our world right now, more than ever, people are searching for their purpose. And maybe this is how you've been feeling lately too. Maybe you have struggled to answer the question of why you get out of bed in the morning and what your purpose is. But here's the good news. We have been given a purpose through Jesus Christ. And this means that we no longer have to live a life without purpose or a life searching for our purpose. And the pur this purpose is better than anything that the world offers us. This is a life-giving and fulfilling purpose because when we build our life around Christ, we put our purpose in, that isn't temp in a thing that isn't temporary, but is eternal. We have been offered a life filled with the purpose of glorifying God in everything we do and serving other people as a reflection and a response. Here's Pastor Andrew with part four of Soul Sanctuary's mission statement. Good morning, Soul family. My name is Andrew, and I'm the student ministries pastor here at Soul Sanctuary. And I just want to start off this morning by giving a shout out to all the wildlife and young life students that are watching this morning. I love you guys. You guys are awesome. I hope you had a great Christmas, and it's great to have you join us today. I also want to thank Steph and Andre and Piper for what they've shared already. It really is an honor getting to speak and serve and work alongside such an incredible team like the one we have here at Seoul. So as we talk about the fourth and final part of our mission, make a difference, we want to read our key verse together, which is Ephesians 1, verse 17 to 18, one more time. It says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. As we talk about making a difference, I want to focus in on the second half of that passage. And I actually want to read a little bit of it from the message paraphrase of the Bible. It says, I pray that you may grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. I don't know about you, but the word immensity gets me excited, but, but it also feels a little bit intimidating. God has immense plans for you. Add this immensity to the weight of all the problems of this world, the injustices, the hurt, the pain, the wrongdoings, and it almost starts to seem overwhelming. We talk about making a difference, but then think of topics like hunger or, or slavery or, or different racial issues and wonder what sort of difference we can really make. There are all these terrible things in the world, but God has this immense way of living for us. What are we supposed to do with that? Where are we supposed to start? 
This brings me to my first point for today, which is start small. Anyone watching today like shows or movies or books that have to do with time travel? Maybe you watch movies like Back to the Future or, or shows like Doctor Who. Maybe you have a favorite movie, book, or show that you want to toss in the comments right now for everybody to see. Whatever the case, if you're familiar with those movies, with those shows, with those books uh, about time travel, you'll know that there are always some rules associated with it. And while the rules sometimes vary based on the different book or movie, one that is often widely recognized is that characters, as they travel back in time, must attempt to have as little impact as possible in order to maintain the integrity of the present. I was thinking about this lesson this week, and I came across a quote that I think is a good place to start that has to do with this idea. It says this, When people talk about traveling to the past, they worry about radically changing the present by doing something small. But barely anyone in the present really thinks that they can change the future by doing something small. Start small. Yes, there are lots of different injustices and wrongdoings in the world. And yes, God has this immense way of living for you. But that doesn't mean that you need to tackle all the world's problems. Where can you start making small differences in the lives of others or the problems around you? And the Bible backs this idea up. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable of the talents or the bags of gold. In it, the master gives five bags of gold to one servant— two bags of gold to another, and one bag of gold to the last, and then he goes away. When the master returns, the first two have taken their gold, they've, they've put it to work, and they've doubled it. To them, the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. However, the last servant was afraid, so he did nothing with what his master had given him. He hid it away. Because of this, what he had was too taken away from him. God has given us all sorts of different things that we can give. Maybe you've heard someone at Seoul talk about your time, your treasures, and your talents. These are all things we've been given by God that we can use to make a difference in his kingdom. We've all been given something, but what are we going to do with it? Again, it might start small, but so do all big things. I've heard it said that even the grandest oak trees start as a small seed. You never know what God has in store for those who humbly do what God has called them to. Okay, so I think we get this idea of starting small, but what does it actually look like? I think if we look back at what Steph and what Piper talked about, we're able to start figuring this out. As we spend more time with God, we get to know him better. And as we get to know God better, we get to understand his purposes. And as we understand his purposes, we're able to make them our own. And one of these primary purposes is to glorify God by serving others. We read in Matthew 20, verse 28, that the Son of Man, or Jesus, did not come to serve, but to, or to be served, but to serve. If we go back to thinking about the different gifts or talents that we've been given, we read in 1 Peter 4 verse 10 that God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. 
Not only has God given us different talents and treasures, but he has blessed us with different spiritual gifts that we can use to glorify God through serving others. I think this is one of the biggest ways we can make a difference. I think back and know that there are a lot of people in my life who've made a huge difference. Family, friends, camp staff, youth leaders, teachers, mentors, and the list could go on of people who have drastically and permanently changed my life. And these changes have likely had eternal implications. I don't know where I'd be without them. I think about a coach who laid out not only the fundamentals of basketball for me, but also the fundamentals of how to carry myself and how to treat other people. His influence changed my attitudes and my actions. So whose lives do you have influence over? You might not even recognize the difference you can make in their life. I forgot to mention that that coach was my grade seven basketball coach, and a dozen years later, his, his influence over me is still changing the way I live. So what sort of difference are you making in the lives of other people? All of your actions are interpreted by someone and have certain consequences, either good or bad. You can have a serious negative impact on someone, or you can make a difference in someone's life for the better by the way you talk to them, the way you treat them, the way you act around them. As we begin maturing as Christians and start trying to emulate the life of Jesus more, our mentality needs to start shifting. As we mature, our mindset needs to go from how can others meet my needs to how can I meet the needs of others. Start small and glorify God by serving others. As we close, I want to go back to some of the apprehensions that I had mentioned at the beginning. What about these big issues? What about large-scale injustices or wrongdoings? What about world hunger or poverty or slavery or racial injustices? Here's the good news. As followers of Jesus, we are part of something bigger, a worldwide body of believers, a global church. One person might be able to change one other person's life or, or have some sort of limited impact on a larger issue. However, a group of people that are driven by knowing God and following his purposes can take that so much further. You want to talk about having a larger impact? Just look at a few of the things that our church has done together over the last little while. This year, together we gave over $100,000 to missions. And just at Christmas, we raised nearly $25,000 to feed the hungry in our North End and at a few care points in East Swatini. And last year on Chosen Sunday, as a church, we sponsored 160 kids through World Vision on top of the ones we'd already previously sponsored. That's 160 lives and an entire community changed. That's just a small taste of what we can do together. So before we head to the blessing today, soul, know that as a church, we desire for you to know God, to find freedom, and to discover purpose. And we truly believe that empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can make a difference. It might start small by, by serving others and glorifying God through that, but you have no idea the lasting impact you can leave on the lives of those around you. And as we join together, united in the love and power of Jesus, we can make an even greater difference in our city, in our country, and in our world.